Welcome back or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Lassini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. And this platform allows me to discuss and to explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode number 15. My guests are Dr. Catherine Logan and Mike Genta. Dr. Logan is a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon, writer, and so much more. She is the head league physician for the Premier Lacrosse League I currently play in, where I've been lucky enough to meet and to get to know her and Mike. Dr. Logan travels internationally and nationally as a member of the team physician pool for United States ski and snowboard teams each year. She's an attending at Rose Medical Center based in Denver, Colorado, where she lives with her family. I can't wait to hear her share her story and her journey. Mike Genta is the owner and CEO of Evolution Physical Therapy, the medical director for the Premier Lacrosse League, head physical therapist for Burton Snowboards, and like Dr. Logan, a dear friend. He too works with elite athletes and performers across various sports from the Northeast to Southern California. It's been said that a painter paints with their hand, an artist paints with their hand and their mind, a master paints with their hand and their mind through their heart. I'm grateful to have these two talented and energizing masters here with me today. Dr. Logan and Mike, thanks for coming on. Thanks Great for having us. So every player in the Premier Lacrosse League, including me, speaks so highly of you guys. Your empathy, attention to detail, and unconditional care truly stand out. Could you elaborate on why you decided to get involved with the PLL and what it's been like over the past two years from your perspective? Dr. Logan, why don't we start with you? What? Um, so Mike is the one who actually brought me into the league, so he can give a little bit more about the history on how he got involved and how he brought me in. But I can tell you a little bit about Mike and me um, and as far as our relationship and why we sort of came together in this endeavor. So uh, I first was in, involved in USC and snowboarding. Part of that was covering the US Burton Open, which occurs in Valley Cheer. So I would basically be a physician at the bottom of the half pipe or slope style or those sort of events, just dealing with any traumas that came my way. And Mike was also in the medical tent. So as you indicated, he's the um, head physical therapist for the Burton Open. So since I was a physical therapist for seven years, you know, I think Mike and I immediately connected when we met those years ago. So we have a very similar mentality in that there's this whole continuum of care. And you can't just be surgeon and silo over here and physical therapist and silo over there. So immediately, I think we sort of had a bit of a kinship and kept in touch, like even though we didn't really need to after the Burton Open and just sort of enjoyed the whole concept of like sharing ideas, even if we didn't know that they were going to go anywhere. <laughs> um, so I'll let Mike kind of talk about, you know, how we were brought into the PLL. But I would say, you know, for both of us, we just have a shared mentality of, you know, the, the level of care that you guys deserve and that it's not just about sort of triaging an injury on site, but trying to look at the bigger picture and how we can sort of keep you guys healthy throughout the year and also look at things like mental health and diet, nutrition, you know, anything else, even if it falls without or outside our expertise, like how can we get it to you? So Mike, I'll, I'll lend, uh, lead into you. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I, I, you know, I love, I always love hearing that, that background of how we met. Um, 
a, a bunch of years ago and, and kind of how it's evolved, um, not only to, into a professional relationship, but, you know, a, a huge friendship and, you know, everything that kind of goes along with that, I, I think is super cool. And, you know, I would say that the way that I, I got involved with the league is really just from perseverance and, and loving one, the, the sport of lacrosse, loving people and, and just having a genuine um, mentality that athletes should be treated with the best put, foot forward. So um, I, I volunteered many years ago in, in a different professional lacrosse tour basically called, called the LXM Pro Tour and, you know, was fortunate enough to meet, you know, some people that I idolized uh, growing up in the sport of lacrosse and just kept in touch with those people over the years. And when the Premier Lacrosse League uh, came to be, I reached out to those people with the idea of creating a medical team that focused first on uh, athlete care and, you know, just, just proper treatment and, uh, you know, of, of athletes. And when I started to kind of dive down that path with the, with the leadership crew of, of the, the PLL, it, you know, became apparent that we just needed to bring in other people with that same mentality that we knew would um, just always have the athletes best intentions in mind and and be very front facing to them not not hiding behind closed doors or waiting for things to come to them but you know being very proactive about their care and about their health and i think that we were you know obviously uh, dr logan and i together have been able to build a medical team that does exactly that um and you know we're, we're going to keep on going with it and, and keep on improving it um but with the support of the league and, and the players, we, we really feel like we can build a, a medical team that's second to none. Yeah, and I, I think you guys both touched upon the fact that the, you guys are both out for the level of care to, to the athletes. And it's felt, it's apparent, it's prevalent, especially um, what, what we just went through, the three-week championship series um, in Salt Lake. And Dr. Logan, do you mind sharing a little bit more of the time and the medical protocols that went into it? Because it was so extensive and you put so much effort um, to pull off such a successful bubble. Yeah, of course. Um, so basically, when all this started to happen, you know, as far as on a national level, um, the league said, hey, can we have a meeting and try and figure out what, you know, how we can do this. And nobody really had any information yet. And as you know, everything with COVID is evolving on a weekly basis. So my first suggestion was like, we need a committee with di different experts. Um, so my background obviously is as an orthopedic surgeon. I'm certainly not an infectious disease expert, but I understand the league really well. I understand what, you know, you guys need um, to be safe, but also, you know, we needed people in an infectious disease, internal medicine to really like bring, um, bring them to the table. Um, so we formed a committee. Basically, it was myself leading it. And then we had an infectious disease expert, Dr. Sandra Nelson from Mass General. Um, I pulled in Dr. David Coopersmith, who's from the Stedman Clinic, because he also does a similar role with U.S. Ski and Snowboard. And then finally, uh, Dr. Jennifer Nepper, who you may have met um, during physicals. So she is urgent care internal medicine. So we were on the committee along with a couple of the executives from the PLL and we basically for 18 weeks, every Friday night, we had a really long um, meeting just like, you know, we're doing right now, you know, over Zoom. Um, and we basically, it was like a, you know, sort of a decision, like heavy, fast paced meeting every Friday night. And then in the week interim, everybody had their tasks. 
So we knew what decisions we needed to make that following Friday, whether it was like, okay, choose the venue, or we need to make a decision about how long they're going to quarantine. And we had a week to meet about it in either subgroup or research or whatever it was. And then Friday night was just making decisions. So we did that, you know, for months. And it was, you know, what I had said to Rob Sanzillo, our lead, uh, lead counsel, like it's, it is an extremely stressful sort of thing to try to feel like you have that responsibility to make sure that I'm providing something that is safe and also successful for the league that they can bring the sport back. But at the same time, like I also told him like every physician is like a true like nerd. And like when you are given like a problem, like you want to like figure it out. So like it, it was like an extremely like rewarding mental exercise to go through. Um, and what I've said to a lot of people, I think the reason we had success is because we were extremely prepared. Like we went through every scenario that you could think of like, okay, what, you know, and I'm sure you saw me running people down. What if a delivery guy comes in without a mask? Like, what do we need to do? What if someone tries to sneak out of the bubble? What if like someone tries to order food from a non-approved vendor? So I think it's just like anything. It was extremely like stressful to do all that planning, but because we did that planning, like that's why it worked. And to button it up, do, is there anything that in regards to the protocols, because it was so extensive and it was amazing, it was very successful, is there anything that you wish you would have done differently uh, in regards to the protocol or was it 100% uh, perfect? I would say the only thing like I wished we could have done and it's like so minor is like to bring in little things like our own bus drivers, like actually have them like live in the bubble with us. Like the people who are giving us dining, have them live in the bubble with us. Those are sort of the things that would like keep me up at night. Like Mike knows like the whole time we we're in the bubble, I would have these sort of like dreams where I'd like wake up and you know, I just had this like, dream about how the bus driver doesn't have a mask on, nobody feels comfortable speaking up, you know, all these sort of things. So I think at the end of the day, no bubble is perfect. We had holes in our bubble just because you have a bus driver, you have people working at the stadium. And so you're always sort of looking over your shoulder thinking, are we protected from those people? Because you can't trust them. And that was what I was always sort of trying to impress on you guys, even though we got through many rounds of testing and you guys were all negative, there are still people with in our radius that we don't, you know, we can't trust to the same extent. So, I, I, I love it. I have a, um, a mentor who's at Princeton right now and he's um, working with a team on catastrophic risk. So when this hit in March, it was really uh, a deep conversation on the low probability of something that really bad could happen. And right, what you're talking about, it makes me think of like a sci-fi movie. If one of these bus drivers gets everything, it could just ruin everything, right? And uh, the level of preparation was definitely, definitely felt. And I want to turn it over to Mike and the fact that um, I was quite frankly uh, hesitant about playing so many games, games in such a short amount of time, right? I felt the toll and it, it, right when the practice or the game was over, it was right back to recovery. Um, so what was it like for you, Mike, treating athletes five to seven games each over the course of 20 day games, extreme heat, high altitude, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I think it, it, it goes into the same concept of being prepared uh, and preparing yourself, pre preparing yourself what, what you feel like is 
going to come. So we, we created an eight week injury prevention and, and strength and conditioning program uh, with the help of a strength coach that we know in Denver named Patrick Nolan, um, who, who was excellent um, and delivered that program with the pretense that we know that uh, muscle strains are going to be something that could be very prevalent during, during this tournament with that, that increase in load. Um, so we try to prepare as much as we could leading up to the season and, and really um, just constantly be sending information to the athletes about what, what they're going to incur. We felt like this was something that, you know, none of these athletes have ever experienced before. The, the closest thing uh, would have been the World Games with, with USA. But even with that, the intensity level was just not there um, as it was with this. So we, we knew that we had to elevate everything that we were doing. Um, and so, you know, once we got there, we, we had that mentality going in. And, and then we just like always kind of worked as much as, as we could around the clock to, to make sure that guys were feeling good and we were trying to head things off. I think the, the bubble scenario compared to the regular season where we were just seeing athletes one at one week at a time actually afforded us the ability to do some rehab um, because we just had access to everybody consistently. So instead of just always making somebody feel better, just cause you know, we wanted them to play. We could also institute, you know, more of a plan over the course of, the, of, of that time to ensure that they were doing everything that they could to, to also help uh, keep them healthy. Um, hydration was, was a huge part of that. Uh, it's something that we knew leading in. We tried to develop a plan um, beforehand to ensure the guys knew, you know, what level of hydration that they needed. And I think, you know, some of the, the, uh, Premier Lacrosse League sponsors and in Gatorade and you know that kind of stuff did a great job just with providing product and stuff that we could uh, make sure the guys were getting and then we had water bottles all over the place and you know that kind of stuff so um, you know that consistency um, you know I think really just kind of helped prolong people's livelihoods through, throughout the course of the time. I love it. I'm writing them down right as you guys are answering these questions. And, and what keeps coming up is, is this word mentality, right? And there's really no talent that goes into having a mentality of remaining consistent, of being prepared and being overly prepared for anything, right? Whether it's the, the protocol, 18 weeks that you talked about, Dr. Logan, or the eight-week injury prevention leading up. It's all this preparation. And I just love that it's intangible and every, anybody can have that. And it really made the, the difference and it was why it was so successful. And Yeah, and Mark, I think... Go going off of that, I think with all these different groups of people who are just, in my opinion, at the, at the highest level of, of what they're able to do, we're all out there trying to match each other's intensity levels, right? And match each other's preparation and match each other's mentality. And I learned that a lot from the athletes when I see how dialed in the athletes are to their craft and what they're doing. And then I look at Dr. Logan with what she's doing with the COVID committee and then, you know, how she's relating that to the rest of it. We're just all constantly trying to match where that is. And it just, it elevates all of us um, into an even higher level, which is, which is exciting. It's so awesome. In, in past episodes, I've had a bunch of successful coaches on here. Um, and what, one of the threads that we pulled on was the fact that the preparation that goes into the details of a practice or a protocol here and there, um, they might not be uh, necessary for that specific moment, but, but being prepared all on the way throughout your life or your career sets you up for that big moment where there's an opportunity or an obstacle or a high pressure situation to just tackle it immediately. And nobody does it better in the PL bubble than you guys did recovery and, and mobility uh, and what athletes in the past would have 
uh, called seemingly ancillary protocols are finally being recognized as important. You know, the, over the past two seasons, the PLL uh, has partnered with brands like Garmin and Gatorade, Hyperice and Whoop, all with the player's best interest in mind. Um, do you guys mind elaborating on how essential recovery is in your opinion? I know we touched upon it and the fact that there's so many games in such a short period of time, but how essential is recovery to you guys and are there specific strategies or protocols you tend to suggest to your patients and clients? So I think for me, um, the, the way I can express like how important I think it is, is so we're building a new clinic space for me in Denver right now that'll open in October and we're putting in um, a whole recovery clinic. So for like, a, for an orthopedic surgeon to put in a recovery clinic, that's like, I literally don't know of one that has one. And it's because like, I really understand that this is so important. And it's like, I want people to sort of come into my clinic and what I'm always trying to express to them is kind of like what Mike and I do together is that there's this whole continuum of care. It's not just like I operate and you're good. You know, like that is just like when your work um, begins and part of that work and that rehabilitation is the recovery and it's not, you know, the mentality you know, that was happening 20 years ago, you know, of like, oh, you just, you know, you keep working harder, harder, harder. You know, I think in science now, we know how much more important, like even like the simple act of sleep is and how that affects our overall health and the percentage of time we're doing that in our whole life and really how important that is not only for our musculoskeletal health, but for our, like our cardiovascular and our neurological health. So I think for me in the orthopedic world, it's not totally there yet. Uh, but I would, you know, I know it should be. So, you know, for me, like when I operate on someone, I operate on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Fridays, I do, I make all my post-operative patients come in and it's really to sort of like wrap their head around like, all right, you're doing your like rehab now and, you know, we have close communication with the therapist. We're setting up this new room so that they can do things like the Norma Tech. They can, you know, work with all the hyper stuff. They can do dry needling. They can do cupping, you know, and that's all. Mike is helping me partner with physical therapists to do that. So for me, it's huge and it's part of the recovery, whether you just like kind of in a conditioning kind of preparation phase or you're actually in like a post-operative phase. I, I have a uh, uncle who's an orthopedic surgeon as well. And, and what he talks about is very blunt sometimes. It can come off almost as not being empathetic, right? Whether the, the patient's not ready for surgery yet because they have to lose an X amount of weight and it come, can come across as insensitive, right? But it really, because he wants the surgery to go the right way and then the, the back, back half that you were talking about to go excellent as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think information is power right and i think when we're we're wrapping our heads around the idea of recovery the more information that we have as providers or the more information that we have as athletes um we can become more powerful in our craft and so for for me you know using using things like the the wolf and you know that kind of stuff to kind of understand where we are on that continuing from a scientific standpoint i think is important. I think giving athletes more information as far as, you know, how their bodies recover, what is optimal recovery? What does all that mean? I think the more we're able to educate, um, it will help us, you know, just help those athletes kind of wrap their head around why we're doing some of this stuff and, and then how it will help them. Um, and that, that kind of stuff just becomes more powerful as, you know, you get that consistency behind it. So, you know, those are, those are all the type of ancillary things that I think Dr. Logan and I are trying to 
add into this world. And we feel like if, you know, we're not telling people to do that, then who is, right? Like if the orthopedic surgeon is not telling somebody that they need to lose weight or the physical therapist is not telling people that they need to lose weight, well, who is, right? Like who, who, who does that fall to until it falls to nobody and then it doesn't get said. So um, I think ultimately in the, in the um, course of recovery and in what we just went through with the championship series, it really came down to relative recovery, right? Like you were never fully recovering, but you, we were trying to allow you to recover enough and, you know, have conversations with coaches about, you know, what certain guys could do in, in practices and, and, and that sort of thing to make sure that we were going to be able to put the best product on the field come game time. I love it. Perfect answer. And something that you guys touched upon much earlier that I wanted to come back to was kind of um, the shared mentality, the perseverance, the intangibles that went into making the team that you guys developed for the Premier Lacrosse League. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this three circle Venn diagram of the sweet spot of a profession, but it's the demand, the skill and the passion. And we touched upon the growing and increased demand and attention to health and wellness, the recovery side, the hydration side, um, the introduction uh, included your highlights in terms of your skill set so we can go deeper in that later on but can you, can you guys talk a little bit more about your passion for what you guys do where, where did it come from um, the influences in your life um, and, per, and perhaps what got you into it in the first place Mike why don't you start yeah sure yeah we can go after that so so my my passion um, really just really just came from my my interest level in athletics and interest level in the human body and and all the things that it's able to do um i think i have an inherent uh passion in being able to help people um and realized very early on that um sharing my knowledge then helps you know helps even more people i think for me um, i'm not naive to the fact that i can only affect you know with my hands, with my two hands, I can only affect a certain number of people uh, a day, but with my mind and my reach and everything like that, I can kind of scale that to helping more and more people, the more people that we can educate on these processes. Um, so, so when I think about just my profession as, as physical therapy, you know, I'm trying to redefine this profession and I'm trying to um, show people that there is a way to do this. There, um, you know, if, if you constantly educate and you do things the right way, you can just get a lot farther and you can help more people. Um, and so, I, you know, particularly with the PLL and, and the way that the structure is with um, kind of like that, uh, you know, the, the office staff and, you know, their ability to trust us, I think we're re really able to pursue those passions and we're, we're really able to, you know, try things with the athletes that, that we know will work and there's that level of buy-in. Um, and, and to me, there's nothing more gratifying than that than to, you know, institute systems, institute programs or, or whatever it might be and, and see it working and see the response that we get from, from uh, the athletes and even just this, you know, small task of uh, Mark, you asking us to, to come on that podcast. I think that that's validating, right, for, for me in particular that um, you find value in what I'm doing enough to, you know, bring me to your audience in order to talk about it. So 
um, I, I just love all of those aspects of what we do. I, I wrote down scale your reach. You know, that's not a that's not a, a term I've ever heard before, but I loved it. And when I was talking to my close family and friends as to why I'm having you both on here, that's the reason, right? Because you guys have put your hands on me, been there, been empathetic, and carried me through injury and 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 otherwise. And that's the exact reason. So you guys can scale your reach in terms of touching other people um, with your words and, and what you do so well. Um, thank you. Uh, so I think for me, you know, I, I wasn't one of these people that grew up thinking like I want to be a doctor or a physician. I didn't grow up in a kind of family that sort of put that forward. Um, we, you know, for me, I didn't go to medical school till I was 30. Um, as you know, I was a physical therapist for seven years. So I was on this totally different path. I was married before I, I went to medical school. Um, so our house, like growing up, like all that, the only value that was really sort of put down to like very consistently was that you should have some sort of life of service. And, you know, my parents were both professionals, but they both volunteered a lot. And that was really like the only thing that I would feel like, all right, you're going to disappoint your parents or not like sort of feel like they really did well by you if you're not doing something that they feel like gives back to your community. And that's just like basics. You can, you know, there's a million jobs you can do to do that. So that was really the only thing that was kind of like on the table for a long time. And then I think for me, the thing I identified is I really liked having like a physical skill. Um, and that is both as a physical therapist and as a surgeon, like that you're actually, you know, just kind of like athletics, you sort of continue to get your reps in and you continue to work on something. And ultimately that's why I sort of, transitioned. I always liked musculoskeletal health. I liked medicine a lot. And as I was exposed to surgeons more, I realized like this whole like 10,000 hours and getting your reps in and like getting good at some sort of task, I felt like extremely fulfilling. And then it also sort of completed that service goal as well, that you can do things that are like, you know, obviously like you're making money and bringing in revenue, you know, as a surgeon, but then you can also like give your skills in different ways and volunteer your time, whether it's like through education or working with different communities or flying overseas or whatever it might be. Like for me, it just hit like all those big check marks that you feel like you can find a really rewarding career that can change over time um, because professional athletes are awesome to work with. But so is like, you know, going down to like an underserved high school. So like, I think, it just gives you that variability. And I think the selfish side is like just having a skill that you can work on. Like when we were in fellowship, we had like full access to um, a cadaver lab that you basically could just say at any time. And I'm sorry if this is like gross, but you could say, um, Hey, I want to um, practice, you know, ACL surgery or, you know, whatever it might be. And they would just pull out a cadaver for you and you could, and put out all the equipment. And for me, it was like, it's just like, it's, it was like going to practice. Like I put on headphones, I went into the lab and I would practice, you know, and I, that whole idea of like keeping up a physical skill, I think is really good just for my overall like mental growth and well-being, and just feeling like you're constantly like reaching new goals. And that's the selfish side. And then I think it just, like I said, hits those buckets of like just feeling, you know, that you can be a part of your community and be involved in your community and give back and like get that reward as well. 
Love it. And I, something, one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys much later on, but we're all over right now is kind of where that empathy comes from, right? Because as an athlete going through, I, uh, I've had surgeries before. I've seen doctors for my shoulder and my back and all this different stuff. And they have different levels of empathy. It's just the fact, right? And in, in what you come across and you guys are very, very high in empathy, right? And on, and on top of that, you have a, a high level of like insightfulness and, and curiosity. I mean, just hearing that you didn't start medical school until you're 30 and, and you have this um, uh, kind of this aura in your family for life of service. And I know Mike, it's like I can reach out to the guy at any point and he's willing to hop on Zoom and do a mobility. So it's just kind of this uh, dire want to just help others and always be available. I mean, availability is so huge. And I just want you to preach to the audience in some way. Um, and I think I, by me asking this question, it'll, it'll come out. Um, where does that empathy and coachability come from? Is it something that you actively work on? I, I know, Mike, you said that it's, it comes kind of inherent is the word that you use when it came to um, wanting to do what you do um, in terms of working with athletics and, and getting into physical therapy. Um, but where do, would you say that empathy and coachability comes from or, or that student mentality? Sure. I think, I think some of it is, is inherent for sure. I mean, that's, that's why we were called to this life of, of helping or service or, you know, what it, whatever you may call it. But, you know, I also look at it as a skill too, in a way um, where, you know, you can sharpen it and you can, and you can get better at it. And I think for me, um, it was just never accepting that the norm was okay in, in a lot of different ways and seeing that the way things were done and, and the way that, that certain things were accepted um, and that just became okay. And I look at, I would always look at my wife who, who went through culinary school and she became a chef and she would come home and say, you know, the, the chef acted a certain way or yelled or um, was mean. And I just kind of was, you know, why is this happening? Why is that okay that everybody in that world just accepts it? Um, and I've seen it in my world too. And I've seen, um, I've seen different, um, you know, physical therapist or athletic training or whatever, whatever it may be, they just accepted that it was the norm because it was like that for, for so many years. And this is just how we did it. Um, and so I think that's how my empathy became sharpened because I always just had that sense that I wanted to sharpen the skill of being able to help people and have them know that I was there for them. And the more athletes that I talked to, I, it was becoming very apparent that that was one of the main things that they wanted, right? They just wanted somebody to be there. They wanted to know that I could call this person and they would give me advice or, you know, whatever it might be, but they didn't, they maybe didn't feel like they had it. Um, and, you know, certainly there's, there's tons of people out there that, that do that, um, but maybe just not as a system, right? That we weren't seeing the consistency of that happening. And I felt like, you know, there was a way to improve on that. Um, and, and that's really ultimately what, what we want to do. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I agree with Mike. Like, I think a lot of it is obviously inherent, but I do think it is very learned. And it, you know, it can be learned from different aspects of your life, whether it's like from a teacher or for your family or, and I know it's something, you know, my husband and I talk about all the time for, you know, raising kids. And, you know, you have two professional parents who really, what are they going to want for? Not, not very much, you know? And so, you know, we're always sort of tasked with trying to figure out how do we, you know, make sure our kids kind of enter this world in with like some sort of empathic lens. And like, so I do some of the things, some of the same things that my parents did, which is, you know, make sure that we're volunteering a lot. 
make sure that we are you know, getting out into our community and seeing different people who maybe are having a different experience from us, talking about those things at the dinner table. Um, you know, we regularly like go and serve food and, you know, my kids are four and seven and, you know, and I don't sort of, um, hide that from them that maybe that guy over there that we're giving food to might, maybe he's drunk right now, or maybe, you know, and sort of just like, kind of giving him um, a talk and sort of explaining what the different situations are for people in the world. Um, and I think that's really, because I can't say that they're empathetic, you know, at birth, but I think that's something that, you know, depending on the environment that you're raised in or, um, you know, you're brought into through your coaches or your teachers or whatever, those are a lot of examples of how that can be taught to you. I love that. It is a story my mentor, Dr. Gilbert, always uses about the power of observation. Uh, these two twins are grow up in, with an alcoholic father, um, and, and one of them is asked years down the road, why did you turn into an alcoholic yourself? And his response was, uh, well, I watched my father. And the other twin, um, who hadn't had a drop of alcohol throughout his entire life, when asked later on in his life, uh, why did you not have a drop of alcohol? Um, he says, because I watched my father. And it's just really interesting how there's two lessons that can come from that. Uh, just earlier today, I was watching a TED talk by Drew Dudley about everyday leadership and how, uh, for some reason, human beings believe that leadership is something that they have to aspire to in the future and they can't do right now. It's, it can't be celebrated, um, that little thing that you talked about in your story there and, and going and, and helping somebody else, even if they might be drunk, that little everyday leadership, it's not a beyond us to do something like that. Um, and I think that our society says this is leadership and this isn't, even though they, they both are. So I love you guys both sharing those stories. They're just so awesome. Um, a very common attribute among peak performers, at least that I study, is the getaway to positive outlets that allow them to perform optimally in, in their given endeavors. Um, do either of you have uh, hobbies or routines outside of work that keep you mentally sharp, uh, recharged, or revitalized as you go through your week or weekend? Mike, do you want to start that one? <laughs> you want me to start? You can hear me, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for me, one one of the, the main things is family um, and then being to have that kind of home life to um, really just always fall back on and know that they're there. I think I'm, I'm fortunate where, you know, I, I have very supportive um, parents and family around me. I have a very supportive wife that um, is supportive in, in a, you know, me going and pursuing these passions and you know all that kind of stuff and um, i think that that's that's huge for me because if i didn't have that i'm not sure that i would be able to you know do all the things that we're doing um and you know i, I a lot of people always ask me you know what's my favorite sport um and i played lacrosse growing up and you know played a played a bunch of sports but i i will always say that snowboarding is my favorite because i think that there's a sense of you know when you're in nature on a mountain and you're just kind of free riding um listening to music and, and that kind of stuff there's there's typically not a time where i feel just you know I feel myself, I guess, like if, um, you know, that kind of makes sense. And so I, I always point to that as, as my favorite uh, thing to do and activity to do. And, you know, I don't get to do it often, but I think that almost makes it more special um, that when I, when I do do it, I, I get those, um, 
those sensations and those feelings. Something that I haven't done much of in my life, but I did the day after we lost the championship game was Bikram yoga. And the reason why I did it is because it's 105 degrees and I can't be anywhere else. And that's what came to mind while I was thinking about you being on the mountain, listening to music. I, if I'm not here right now, I'm going to pass out type of thing. <laughs> I think yeah. that that's important. That's why I asked the question is because everybody has them. And even though you're doing these great things in, in your, in your craft, and you both do, uh, there's these things that need to keep you on even keel and everybody has their own. Yeah, I agree. Like both Mike and I, I think employ exercise to, you know, just like many of us to sort of work through some things. Um, you know, that was part of the reason why I settled in Colorado. Like, I think you just, I found so much peace out here, whether, you know, you're, you're snowboarding or you're hiking or you're doing a trail run, you know, it's very easy out here to just clear your head. Um, and like when we were doing these COVID committees, like there was a lot of times I was working through hard concepts and how do I fix this? And, you know, I would just get out and do a trail run and it's like amazing how quickly things become clearer. So I think it's almost like a, you know, like a, an active uh, meditation, you know, like I Absolutely. think there's nothing around you. You're not at a gym. You're not looking at, you know, the numbers on the treadmill. You're not looking at the people around you or people being loud around you. You know, you're just sort of um, out and, you know, it's very, very easy to take yourself out of reality. Yeah, I was listening to a mastery session by a guy named Robin Sharma, and he talks about four ways to improve or grow self-love. Um, the, the first being honor your special, do whatever you need to do to clear your head. The second being do something difficult daily. Um, one of the fourth and final being help others. But the one that we're touching upon that he talked about, which was really interesting to me, was go to the woods, right? There's all this outside, always in your face, whether it's answering a text message or an email or running off to another meeting and right. And sometimes it, and it's very, very important to just go to the woods where you're with your breath and being mindful. Um, I think, um, one thing that just, you know, unfortunately is just uh, undervalued is that think time um, and going for a run, doing all these things that Dr. Logan just suggested, you, you, you clear your head or, or oftentimes you think about things and you work through them. Right. And um, I try to do that in, in business. I try to do that in my profession is just setting aside that time to think. And I'm, I'm not really one that, um, I use things for what they are, so to speak. Right. So like, um, I, I do that in physical therapy where I, and I, and I preach this to the other physical therapists that I work with is, you know, make sure you're focusing on what the exercise is intended to, right? Like if the exercise is intended for strength, maybe you need to correct for balance, right? Because if they're falling all over the place and you're not getting the strength component of it, uh, or if you're focusing on balance, but they don't have the strength and, you know, don't try to combine those two things together. Um, and so oftentimes when I go for a run, I go for the purpose of thinking or clearing my head and in that specific, if I'm working out with somebody else, I'm not going into that workout wanting to think or clear my head. I'm, I'm going into it with a more social aspect. So therefore I get out of it what I want to get out of it. Um, and I think that I, I just try to kind of pair those things together and make sure that, you know, I'm doing things with intent rather than uh, just doing them just to do them. My, my first mental coach at Yale, one of the first lessons he ever said to me is things happen by intention, not by accident, right? And that repeats in my mind forever. And, and sometimes what, what you were talking about there is your intention has to be to do nothing, right? To get lost, whether it's in the yep, woods. Totally fine. 
Uh, so I love that. And uh, something that stuck with me as I was getting ready for this podcast is, Mike, you mentioned how important it is to you to work with clients who are motivated to get better. Um, can you explain why that desire to improve through physical therapy with you is such a key element? Yeah, I, you know, it's, um, it's way easier to work with somebody who just is going to put into it as, as much as, as you're putting into it. Um, that being said, it's just not always the case. Um, and I think it's, it's definitely another skill that you have to hone over your career to, you know, it, it's probably more of a coaching mindset, um, that you need to, um, get better at, right. Because you're trying to pull the best out of that person. You're trying to get out of them more, uh, get, get more out of them than sometimes they, they are willing to give, want to give, um, you know, and, and oftentimes you have to meet them where they are and then take it from there. Right. You know, see, you know, kind of what they're willing to give you and, and adjust their program accordingly. Um, and then try to make small little goals or small little gains throughout that process, um, in order to get what you want. Um, you know, I always, <laughs> Um, talk about this, especially with our, our younger physical therapy uh, crew. But, you know, oftentimes people come in telling you how they want to get treated or telling you what they want. Right. And I'm sure that's the same thing as an athlete. Right. The athlete comes in and say, this is how I want to play or this is how I want to do it. And sometimes you have to get a little bit, give a little bit to get a lot back. Right. And okay. so I think it's totally OK to do some of those things uh, in a strategic way to appease that person while then instituting the, the mindset and, you know, the, the things that you really want to do that, you know, will work and, and accomplish. And I think that that's just kind of a human interaction thing more than more than anything else. Uh, but it works. Yeah. Uh, Brenna Brown, the lead authority on vulnerability, she wrote uh, Dare Greatly, and she was talking um, with Michael Gervais uh, on this podcast, and she was talking about how she's an extreme introvert, and she's traveling all around the country, and she's doing these speeches in front of hundreds to thousands of people, and uh, that's an introvert's nightmare. So when she comes home, and she's got to get ready to take care of the kids, because he's been taking care of her while she's been on the road, she's just depleted at that point. All she wants to do is recharge. And she, something that she was talking about that really stuck with me is this percentage thing that happened between really relationships. So she, she has this thing with her husband where she comes home, and she'll be like, I'm 20%. And he's like, don't worry, babe, I'm 80 today then, you know? So I love that. Right. Whole, like, but it came to mind, and that's what, how it should be with your patient right you, you have to have that kind of give and take that you were talking about not even if it's just a romantic relationship but client to to, to um to you right and, and i think it's so interesting how that kind of gets lost um dr logan turning it over to you you've seen and experienced so much within your journey in orthopedics um what are some ever-present qualities um you've come across with high level um patients and athletes and performers that you've worked with um besides this improvement to get better yeah i mean that's obviously the, I mean, I think the easiest thing to loop into is if you remember when we were doing the town hall um, and we were talking about like what, like basically my job was trying to figure out how am I going to get your buy-in um, to behave and really just make sure our protocol is followed through and that we all, you know, kind of engage in these guidelines. Um, so what I pulled from that was the common thread that I see in anybody who is a skilled and advanced and, you know, athlete or anybody who's really, 
you know, even like a CEO, you know, you've reached a certain amount of success and the common thread to get there is, you know, the two things that make you successful from my perspective are, is that you obviously have discipline. Um, so the first thing I said to you guys was like, you need to engage your discipline. <laughs> you know, and the second thing I said to you guys is then you're going to start to get bored. Quarantine stinks. And then you have to avoid complacency. And so that's really where I see the difference in people who are successful, whether it's in their career or their athletics, is they can do those two things well. Because everybody can be disciplined for a short period of time, just like people on a diet or whatever, a program. And then it gets a little boring. It gets a little stale. And it's the people who can avoid the complacency of it all and re-engage over and over again. Look at the, you know, wake up every morning and sort of say, yep, I got to do this again and I have to come at it with the same sort of fire. You know, that was how I addressed you because that's the common thread and I knew that if I could get that into your heads that you would take it as a personal mission to address, you know, the protocol yourself and engage in all of those things I was asking you to do. I, you know, it's funny after that town hall, which was, it was very serious, right? There was obviously a, yeah. a, a, a aura about it. Um, and I know you on a, on a deeper level as a friend, right? And when I saw you being intense like that, I was like, <laughs> okay, it's time to get disciplined. You know, it's time to not get complacent because, but you need that kind of serious yet funny aspect of you. If you were always like that, people would just rebel and go off the beaten path. But you can tell that based on our empathy conversation before, how if you're able to go from empathy to, uh, to, that, to, the, to that seriousness, I mean, I was shocked with discipline right there. I was ready to stay indoors and, and then not go see anyone. That's for it sure. fired me up too. I was fired yeah. up leaving that thing. I was like, let's go. I'm ready to run through a wall right now, but stay inside. But definitely stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> Run into a wall to, the, to, to another yes. room, not outside. Yes, exactly. Not outside. Uh, <laughs> so it, staying on that discipline on like a broader scale, um, for both of you, we talked about the outlets that you guys have. But are there any resources or sources of inspiration that you guys all refer back to? Dr. Logan, if it's for you and, and your kids, uh, Mike, if it's with you and your significant other, do you guys always are talking about these resources or, or things that you always go back to to stay motivated, not get complacent, to stay disciplined? Mike, go ahead. Sure. So, you know, for, for me, I have found a lot of value in engaging different people from different professions that are unrelated. Um, I think I learn a lot from that. Um, I'm not sure if it was the first time I heard of that concept, but I know it's something that Kobe Bryant used to do, um, where he would, you know, basically find the greatest person in their profession and talk to them about what made them great in that profession and, you know, all the, th all the little intangible things that they do to, to kind of get ahead. Um, um, and so I try to do that um, with with many different professions and just take out different little tidbits of what I learned from those and, and do it. Um, and then I think um, just having those really steady relationships at home has been, you know, my rock, basically, like something that I that, that I always know that I can draw on. And um, I, I do think family is an extremely important and um, you know, something that uh, should never be undervalued in, in any way. Um, and so I think when I find myself drifting in that direction, I, I try to make sure that I'm or drifting away in that direction. I make sure that I do myself check to, you know, get reengaged and, um, you know, spend that quality time because there, there's really nothing more important than that. Absolutely. Like, I, I, I love the whole family coming back to the rock. I love it. <laughs> I think for me, like as far as 
you know, cause what you're really ask, asking is like, how do we sort of stay, like maintain our own discipline? Is that sort of what you're, um, so for me, I think I'm always thinking a little bit more about the past um, and, you know, just mentors I've had and going through different stages. And so going, you know, going back to medical school when you're 30 and then um, going into, you know, orthopedics. So orthopedics is about like 5% women. You know, you, you definitely have your moments where you're sort of um, either cast aside or, you know, not given the same respect or not given the same opportunities, those sort of things. So for me, like, it's always kind of looking back and, you know, thinking about, okay, how was it five years ago? What did I have to get through, you know, at that time? Or like, you know, we talked about like the marathon bombing and like being pregnant. And I always sort of like think back to those sort of times and think, okay, like, well, you know, if you did that, you're going to be fine. You can get through this. And I think my husband, so I've been with my husband since 1999. So when, you know, we got together, I was just working at a bar, you know, in graduate school. And then I was in physical therapy school and then, you know, all the, like we went through all these transitions together. So I think kind of how Mike is saying, you know, you have this sort of stable foundation who can, you know, always remind you of like the different challenges you've already overcome, you know, and the lessons learned from those sort of things. And the same thing from like, you know, different, you know, different mentors I've had along the way, you know, you, you just have to like understand who your circle is. And this is something I talked to. Um, I don't think he'd mind me saying this, but I, I think I, I talked to Ty Warner about this um, while we were on the bubble you know, he wants to go into orthopedic surgery. It's an even smaller percentage um, to find a black orthopedic surgeon or, you know, minority in general. And, you know, what I sort of said to him was like, you have to find your circle. Like, sir, you know, challenges are going to come your way and you have to figure out, you know, who you can speak to about those things, even if it's purely just to complain and kind of get your rant out. You, they, that person might not know all the answers or know what you should do next. But, you know, you have to have your people who you can go and talk to and make sure like they kind of give you that good reset. So I think more than a specific resource, I feel like it's like you have to have your people. I love it. I, easiest way to enhance your life is to enhance your inner circle. And I, I love that. I, I The story that comes to mind is there's a, a woman's uh, national soccer player. Her name is Kelly O'Hara. Uh, I mean, years ago, she was talking about this story and it was just a, such a powerful story. Um, she gets cut from the team and then get called, called up because one of the uh, other ladies got hurt. So she gets brought on and the coach lets her know, you're only going to be a cheerleader. You're going to come um, to the world games, but you're only going to be a cheerleader. Couple of games in, they're down two nothing to Sweden, um, and the strength and conditioning coach goes, "Kelly, get ready." And she's like, "What?" Right? And, and, and two things happen to her: her vision closes, right, and everything speeds up. Was the opposite of what you want as an athlete? You want everything to slow down and your vision to open up, right? So there's obviously a lot going on, in Kelly, at that point, right? And she goes out the last 15 minutes of the game and plays the worst she's ever played, right? So they uh, do the uh, they check her for just as the rest of the team for performance enhancing drugs. And then everybody leaves the stadium and she goes up to this upper tier and looks down at the stadium. And she says to herself, and this, you talking about the past reminded me of this story. She looks down and she says, Kelly, it's just soccer. You know, there's all these people here now and the stage is bigger. But remember, you've been playing this since you were four years old. And, and the most beautiful thing about that is that reminder of her past allowed her to go on 
And then make next four years later, she makes the team plays every single minute. And then the next four years later, she makes the team again and plays every single minute. Right. So uh, a setback was a setup for a comeback for Kelly. But I just love the fact that she was looking back at her past and was like, you know, just because the stage is bigger and there's more pressure, um, I can still perform. And I, I love the idea of you are only as powerful as your inner circle and your environment. That's so huge. Um, like Mike talked about, the rock, it's a rock and it allows you to go and leave your rock to do great things. But I also like the idea of bringing your past with you. And I've loved hearing about your guys' stories and the major influences in your lives and your past in the present times. And I perhaps have a little heart of a question, but where do you guys see yourself three to five years from now um, compared to where you are, whether that's professionally or personally inside the PLL or otherwise? Yeah. Mike, I can make you um, go first. Yeah, no, it's fine. I, it's 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 interesting because we're always, I, I mean, I think Dr. Logan and I both we're always trying to like push those limits. I mean, I, Dr. Logan, I I see that with with you, and I'm inspired by you with all the like the seemingly career changes you made and like how you're you're continuing to push that limit and be better for me. Um, I try to hang my hat on, you know, my mission, which is redefining the, the physical therapy profession. And I think, um, Dr. Logan, you, you and I were kind of having a conversation uh, during the championship series about, um, I said, you know, is it, is it typical that you see, you know, kids of physicians come become physicians and that sort of thing. And like seeing that kind of stuff, we're just kind of having this interesting conversation. And, and you said to me, I, I feel like your children will, you know, likely see you as an entrepreneur. Um, and I thought that that was just kind of like a cool thing to hear for, for me, um, that I am a physical therapist. Um, but I, I'm also just trying to push the limit and, and trying to affect different avenues um, in, in business or in profession or, you know, what, whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, for, for me, I, I certainly want to continue to make the Premier Lacrosse League the, um, you know, best medical team out there for sure. Um, I, I want to make sure that my company, Evolution, is, is continuing to push our profession forward um, in, in a way that is just going to benefit more and more people going forward. So um, I, I think if I stick to those things and then also, um, you know, never, never say no <laughs> to things. I think, you know, my, my partner in, in Connecticut, uh, him and I always joke about writing a book that's called Just Say Yes, um, because there's been just so many opportunities that have been presented to us because we just say yes. And we, we try, we just figure it out and we push through it and we work really hard and um, we're able to see kind of the fruits of that labor um, as, as we go on. So um, th those are all the things that I'm looking forward to in the, in the next few years and then in the future much longer after that. My favorite quote is, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, the future is built by those who do the work that they don't have to and that embodies you, Mike. So thank you for that answer. Yeah, I think, you know, Mike and I have a, you know, a very similar passion for just like evolving and growing over time and just kind of looking at you know, the world that is in front of you and then the world that, you know, is not in front of you and just kind of always learning and figuring out where else can we grow and how else can we, you know, become better, more, more well-rounded people. And I, I think specifically, you know, there's both like professional and personal growth that I want to see for myself in the next five years. And, you know, I think with the PLL, I really like where we're going and we've already, you know, kind of set meeting dates for, you know, the next few weeks to think about 2021, believe it or not. So I, you know, I, we want to continue to bring you guys the care that you deserve. Um, and that's a very well-rounded care. That's not just from an orthopedic surgeon and a physical therapist, but all these sort of other mental health 
um, you know, recovery type things that we've been talking about. And then, you know, at home in Denver, like professionally, like starting to really like redefine what is like an orthopedic surgeon and what's the office like. And, you know, you're talking about your uncle and, you know, it's a very, obviously you can imagine my practice is different, you know, just by who I am. And when um, I was in fellowship, one of the, this um, really renowned um, surgeon, uh, Robert LaProde, he deals with these really complex knee surgeries. People fly from all over the world to come see him. And, you know, he would give the, you know, kind of the diagnosis very straightforwardly. And then I would be in the room and, you know, people would just start crying, you know, and we'd have a longer talk. And, um, and he said to me one day, you really got to get some, like a neck tattoo or something and like look a little tougher. <laughs> you know, so I think, you know, the way I run my practice is obviously, you know, different. And I hope that it's more well-rounded and it continues to be more, you know, whether we're dealing with, you know, having physical therapists in the office or, you know, athletic trainers um, and all those things. I want it to be more than what it is and kind of redefine that. And then, you know, personally, like, you know, we're raising our family and we want, you know, the most important thing is like, I always think about is, you know, what are these, how are these boys going to be when they're men? And, you know, you there's certain people you look at like yourself, um, you know, in the league. And I, you know, I'll say to Mike all the time, like, just like, these are examples that, you know, are important for the um, boys to see and, you know, to understand, like, how did that person kind of get there, you know, from childhood to adulthood, you know, what, what did they do to become such, you know, pleasant, respectful, but also competitive and hardworking <laughs> type people, you know, cause that's, you know, it's a really great thing. You are, you know, you personally have a life of service. Um, you are giving back to a lot of people by the work that you do, but you're also, you know, doing things that, you know, have your own personal growth. And I think those are all the things we want for our children. So I think, you know, my husband and I are always thinking about those things and what should we be exposing them to and what should we be doing on a daily basis to make sure they are turning in those type of, types of men. I love it. It's such a, I, and whether you get the neck tattoo or not, it, I, I, I absolutely <laughs> what would it, love it say? Oh, listen, we could have know. a whole poll question behind this. Yeah. What, what should Dr. Logan's neck tattoo say? No, I think the kids get it like uh, being smart is cool, being kind is cool, and then you talk yeah. about being more well-rounded. That's cool. Yeah. You know? I, the way I always end these things is I always ask, how would you guys define greatness? And I think we've already dancing on the dance floor already, but I have to ask okay. each of you, um, how would you guys define great greatness um, based on what you guys have come across? I'll, I'll take it again, just to, just to be consistent with, uh, which, which I think kind of goes with my comment, which is just the consistency of pushing uh, yourself and others around you forward. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's really like the capacity for like change. You know, if you look at how much has changed in our world, you know, and how much more we're all being exposed to socially, culturally, emotionally over the last few years, like that ability to sort of be open to realizing like maybe you were wrong on something in the past and to grow for it is like a true definition for me. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, you guys have been absolute guiding lights for me. The last two years of knowing you guys have just been awesome. Obviously, you've helped me out um, from an athletic standpoint, but it's also been cool um, becoming friends with you guys. So could you let listener, listeners know where they can follow you, learn more about you? 
Sure. Mine's uh, Mike Junta PT is, is my Instagram. My company is Evolution Physical Therapy. So evolutionphysicaltherapy.com. Um, and uh, my, my company's Instagram is at Evolution PT Fit. And then for me, um, I'm really just on Instagram. <laughs> I stay off Twitter because I find it angry. <laughs> um, so I'm just C Logan, L-O-G-A-N-M-D. Uh, I guess, yeah, no. And the website is clogan.md.com or just the handle is clogan.md. That's it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. You guys are such special people, especially to me. Thank you for having us. It's really nice to see you. <laughs> yes. It's only been a yes. couple days, but we miss you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yes. Thanks, Thanks guys. Okay. Take All care. Right. Take care. Bye.